But uh, Trump is using this opportunity because, uh, let's face it, Rachel Maddow, CNN, the Young Turks, a lot of other outlets, uh, and, you know, Congressman Adam Schiff, all these Democrats that have been, you know, coming in, riding in on that collusion horse the last few years has given Trump a, a major, major political gift. Now, if you thought he could do anything without consequence before, now anything accused of him, any of the, of the just terrible things his administration does, and there's plenty, he'll just scream, well, fake news, look what the deep state and the mainstream media, uh, look what they did for two and a half years. You can't believe anything they say. You know, they pushed that I was a Russian operative. And you know what? In some ways, he's right. I don't like him, but in some ways he's right. But he's using this opportunity. Remember, Donald Trump doesn't really have like an ideology per se. Donald Trump's political party is Donald Trump. His ideology is get it whatever is best for him. Um, he was never even really that much of an anti-immigrant phobe before he ran for president. That was put in his head because he had people around him saying, this is what will work. That's what Roger Stone was telling him. That's what, what was that guy's name that uh, went crazy on cable news that told him the wall idea? I forget his name. So Donald Trump basically ran as a populist, ran as a champion of the everyman. But in reality, he's just a servant for donors. He's just an empty vessel for donors, just like the next guy. So he's doing what the donors want, and he's using this political opportunity to attack Obamacare. So... Trump administration to court. Get rid of Obamacare entirely. President Trump's Justice Department supports a federal judge's ruling that President Obama's signature health care law, the Affordable Care Act, is unconstitutional. A court filing shows the Justice Department filed its determination in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans on Monday, right after the synopsis of Mueller's report came out, where an appeal of a judge's opinion on the law is pending. Quote, the Department of Justice has determined that the district court's judgment should be affirmed. Three DOJ lawyers write in a filing in the Fifth Circuit. Trump, Trump Justice Department, going further than it had before, said it supports a federal judge's ruling that President Barack Obama's signature health care law, Affordable Care Act, is unconstitutional, according to a court, court filing. Amid mounting Democratic criticism of the administration's stance, President Donald Trump asserted in a tweet Tuesday afternoon that, quote, the Republican Party will become the party of health care. Yeah. The department filed its determination on Monday in the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit in New Orleans, where an appeal of U.S. Where an appeal of U.S. District Judge Reed O'Connor's December opinion on the law is pending. Quote, the Department of Justice has determined that the district court's judgment should be affirmed, three DOJ lawyers wrote in a one-page filing. Justice Department spokeswoman Kerry Kupek told CNBC the, department's, the Department of Justice has determined that the district court's comprehensive opinion came to the correct conclusion and will support it on appeal. If courts dismantle the ACA, it would likely cause millions of consumers to lose health care or face higher costs, in no small part due to the end of Medicaid expansion. Ending Obamacare is a long-held goal of Trump and fellow Republicans. They failed to accomplish doing so in 2017 when the Senate fell short of passing a repeal bill. Scrapping the law without a replacement would lead to 32 million more uninsured people by 2026, the Congressional Bu Budget Office estimated in 2017. 
O'Connor had ruled that the entirety of the Affordable Care Act became unconstitutional following Republicans' move in 2017 to eliminate the individual mandate penalty. Consumers who choose to opt out of buying insurance under Obamacare have been subject to a tax penalty. So essentially, Trump is using, I mean, he's basically using the major political win he got from, okay, you want to call it the Barr Report. Rachel, you know, Rachel Maddow's calling it the Barr Report, but it's, I mean, the Barr Report is a synopsis of what Mueller found, which I'm going to get to later. I'm in a tough position here because I would be crazy to say like, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Let's get rid of Obamacare. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people would suffer. Frankly, Obamacare, it, the key part of Obamacare is the Medicaid expansion. That is the best part of it. And that has given health care to a lot of people. I mean, millions of people who otherwise can't afford it. So I got my problems with Barack Obama, but that's that's a good thing. Um, the majority, uh, the, over, the overwhelming majority of Obamacare, it was a Band-Aid to a gunshot wound. And frankly whether it be because the Trump administration has been sabotaging it or trying to sabotage it or whatever, this Obamacare was always a giant wet kiss to the insurance industry. You can't produce universal health care that's favorable to insurance companies and favorable to pharmaceutical companies. You know, Obama was basically conned into this public-private partnership for insurance, and it just doesn't work because at the end of the day, people still are getting denied from insurance companies for life-saving surgery. Uh, For surgeries, I remember uh, a young woman, I think she was like 15, got denied from Aetna um, for a surgery that would have stopped her seizures, brain surgery. They denied her for the cheaper surgery, but said she could do the more expensive surgery. This is the healthcare industry, right? And the cheaper surgery actually, in research, it showed to be more effective than the more expensive one. But when you let humans dictate whether other humans have the ability to get care they need, that is called sociop- sociop- so- sociopaths. Sociopathy? Thank you. I don't, you know, I'm not, say- I'm not sitting here saying, like, this is great, let's get rid of Obamacare. Because I-, I think Obamacare... without Medicare for all, I mean, it's better than nothing. I mean, I could tell you personally, I looked at plans here in New York and I don't make enough money to afford rent and Obamacare. I mean, a a, a decent plan was like $450, $500 a month. That's not like affordable health care. That's not, it's called the Affordable Care Act. That's not affordable. If it's $450 to $500 for one of the most basic plans, but just to have it, that's not mentioning the deductibles, the copays, the coinsurance, or whatever else, whatever else hitting costs are in those plans. And I know a lot of you know what I'm talking about. So, uh, you know, it's uh, I don't want Obamacare to be repealed if we don't have a viable chance of having Medicare for all swoop in. But at the same time, there's also political realities. And I'm sorry to sound crass, but that's the truth. If you look at the exit polls from the 2018 midterms, right there, biggest concern, 41% health care. And if you listen to Bernie Sanders and some of the other candidates, that's what people are talking about and asking them about on the road. So purely from a political 
standpoint. I'm not talking about morality. I'm not talking about this would be good for people because I don't think it would be good to just get rid of Obamacare. But purely from a political point of view, if there were no Obamacare, if, you know, judges basically made it null and void, that sets up the, the, the showdown at the, at, at the OK Corral between somebody like Bernie Sanders and we need Medicare for all and here's why. And here's how it will save lives. Here's how it will save the United States money. Here's how it will extend our life expectancy when our life expectancy right now is going down. You have a much better chance of making the public go your way, of of turning that public sentiment, which you don't even need to turn many. Medicare for all is polling at 70%. But if Obamacare was just gone, it would be a political... I don't want to say a victory because these are people's lives and health we're talking about, but it would be a big political opportunity for uh, progressives and Bernie Sanders because, frankly, Obamacare is not progressive. It's an incremental step in the right direction. But, frankly, there's a lot of problems with Obamacare. There's a lot of people that are basically like can't afford Obamacare with their rent, not just in expensive cities in New York, but in all, all across the country, I've spoken with them. So it's kind of like, you know, the, it's the devil you know, the devil you don't know. I, I, don't want, I don't want Trump to be successful. I don't want Obamacare repealed if we don't have a Medicare for all, a, a real sustainable option of it. When I say option, I mean like it's gaining sentiment. There's, there's hearings. There's legislation being worked on. We have legislation being proposed right now, but we don't have a Republican majority in the Senate or a president that will do anything with that. And we still have pharmaceutical companies, hospitals, private insurers flooding the zone, flooding these politicians with money. So even though it's not my preferred plan, even though I'm not for incremental change, I'm also for not taking insurance away from 32 million people, especially you know, the most vulnerable. You're talking about minorities. You're talking about sick people. You're talking about poor people. No. So we, unfortunately, do need to fight Trump just to keep this really not great ideal plan. Because I'm not going to sit here and say, like, yeah, just get rid of it so then we could just focus on Medicare for all. No, there's, there's millions of people who depend on it. There's a lot of people whose lives have been saved for it. So we can't be crazy you know, but let's make no, let's not hide what this really is. Trump has not a concern in the world. Trump doesn't ideologically have a problem with universal health care. If Trump thought it could politically help him to be for universal health care, if it could keep him in office, he would do it in a heartbeat. But Trump is a servant to the donors. He is a successful one of the most successful in world history, world history, used car salesman. He is a con man. That's it. If you had a living, breathing person that wasn't as corrupt and vile as Hillary Clinton, he would not have won the presidency. I think just about anyone could have defeated Donald Trump, but Hillary Clinton or one of those. So why is he pushing this now? I mean, why of all things is he pushing this now when he could be doing more of a victory dance as far as being cleared of criminal collusion, um, an infrastructure plan, more tax cuts for himself and his family and his, his buddies. Well, it's the donors. I mean, this is from a 2017 story in the New York Times. 
Donors are furious. One person knowledgeable at the, about the private meeting quoted Mr. Gardner, Senator Gardner, as saying, we haven't kept our promise, talking about the Republican Party's inability to repeal Obamacare. The backlash from big donors, as well as the grassroots, panicked Senate Republicans. It was part of the motivation behind the sudden zeal to take one last crack at repealing the health care law before the end of the month. That effort faltered Friday with new opposition from Senator John McCain of Arizona. So obviously this happened uh, a while ago because he's dead. The perennial maverick who had scuttled the Senate's first repeal effort. Now Republicans must confront the possibility that they will once again let down their backers with no big win in sight. You know what I love about this? It's just like the New York Times just report this, reports this like it's normal. It's just, well, they, you know, it's just, they're, they're worried about their donors. Maybe the New York Times should do a piece how American health care is being decided in back rooms by the aristocracy. Maybe? Maybe challenge some of these donors? Does the New York Times have telephones in the newsroom? Why you are flooding money to Donald Trump and the Republican Party? So that poor black people and poor white people and single mothers and sick people can't have health care? Does it have anything to do with the fact that you're invested in a lot of these pharmaceutical companies? Does it have anything to do with the fact that you have investments in all these banks and those banks are invested in these pharmaceutical companies? Does it have anything to do with the fact that you sit on hospital boards that don't make as much money as they used to? The latest unsightly pileup of our health care was exactly what some Republicans have wanted to avoid by abandoning the repeal effort and skipping straight to tax cuts after the previous embarrassing health care collapse about eight weeks ago. Instead, Senate Republicans got caught up in a rushed, last-ditch repeal attempt that not only seems unlikely to prevail, but will only serve to remind disillusioned donors about the party's governing difficulties. This was not what Republicans had envisioned preparing for the 2018 midterm elections. They had thought they were in a strong position to maintain or expand their majority. Democrats must defend 25 seats, including 10 in states won last year by President Trump. So obviously they're talking this was before the midterms. Addressing his anxious colleagues at their weekly meeting on September 12th, Mr. Gardner had a simple message. If we don't have something to run on, we're going to squander this opportunity. So this is not shocking. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But the bottom line is, why is this important? Why is this important? You get to see all me in my snotty glory. I press the like button. Why is this important? Who do you think is the best candidate to show a stark contrast to Trump serving his donors, to Trump serving his pharmaceutical donors, to Trump serving his Wall Street donors, to Trump serving his big pharma donors, his, I mean, fossil fuel donors, you name it. Who do you think is the person that could most successfully show that he conned you, the voters of Wisconsin, you, the voters of Michigan, you, the voters of Ohio, you, the voters of Pennsylvania, you, the voters of Florida. Who is that? Is it Beto O'Rourke? Who, on Monday, he's for Medicare for All, on Tuesday, he's not, and on Wednesday, he doesn't know if he's a, you know, he doesn't even know what health care is. He's just standing on a bar, waving his hands around. Is it Kamala Harris, who moonwalked away from Medicare for All after 24 hours? Because Hillary Clinton's donors who were funding her didn't really like that. Cut it out, Kamala. Is it Joe Biden who takes 
more money from Wall Street, from pharmaceutical companies, from fossil fuel companies, from real estate developers, from hedge fund managers, than anyone known to man. He's the guy that's the best to go after Donald Trump on being corrupt with his donors and selling down the American, selling down the river the American people and his voters, depriving them of health care. Frankly, is it Elizabeth Warren who also is moonwalking away from Medicare for All? Didn't strongly endorse it. Didn't endorse it at all in her town hall with CNN. Is it Corey, I'm suddenly, you know, progressive booker? Who voted against cheaper drugs from Canada? Is it Amy Minnesota Nice Klobuchar? Who's also not for Medicare for All? It's not pragmatic. Who else is running of the 25? I mean, listen, I know. Pete, Mayor Pete Buttigieg? Buttigieg? I don't know. Nice guy. I see he's rising a little in the polls. He'd be a wonderful secretary of something to Bernie Sanders. But, no. I, I, I'm not going to critique, I'm not going to throw in Tulsi with that because she's for Medicare for all. And I think just the, just the actual contrast of somebody who fought in a war versus somebody who dodged a war would be nice. But if I'm being honest with you, I don't think Tulsi Gabbard has the greatest chance of becoming the Democratic nominee. However, I do personally would like to see her on that debate stage to get a, a soldier's viewpoint and proposals to stop this madness, to stop this military-industrial complex. But all of these people cannot, it was the same problem with Hillary Clinton. You can't credibly call someone else corrupt if you're corrupt. You can't credibly call someone corrupt. You can't credibly say this person is not looking out for you if you're not looking out for the people. I mean, the internet exists. Social media exists. People read your past votes. People read who you're taking money from. There's only one who could credibly stand up there and say, you are a con man. You said during the campaign, you're for universal health care, and now you sold out every single American, including your voters, who some of them are on Obamacare, because you are a servant for the Koch brothers. You are a servant for Robert Mercer. You are a servant for Jeff Bezos and the Walton family. Hey, you're even a servant for Democratic donors who don't want Medicare for all. That's Bernie Sanders. So, yes, we need to, I think, some of you might not like it, but, you know, I'm just telling you the truth. We can't stand idly by and then take a machete to, to Obamacare because that would hurt a lot of people. But it's, while at the same time fighting against this, in the same breath, we need to be fighting for Medicare for all. And you know why? There's not been recent polling, but in the last poll, 52% of Republicans favor Medicare for all. How's Trump going to respond to that? You know, I said yesterday when I was talking about the Young Turks and Cenk Uger's total ridiculous moving of the goalposts, pretending that they weren't riding this Russian collusion train all the way to the bank, frankly. I mean, they got a lot of clicks off that, which equals money. But... The problem is not primarily that you did this. The problem is when you're not hum humble enough to just admit you were wrong. We're all human. Sometimes 
We all have bias, and sometimes our bias, and a lot of people have a bias where it's Trump derangement syndrome. Hey, I don't like Trump with the ne- with, with I don't like Trump as much as the next guy or gal, but that doesn't take away my critical thinking skills because I pride myself in actually looking at evidence and facts and research, researching things. So I didn't think necessarily that Rachel Maddow was going to like do a full mea culpa, but I didn't think she was going to become like the equivalent of a, of a, I don't know, Russian collusion, like, truther or birther. Like, you would think she would just accept Mueller's findings, right? And I've already said it. I believe the report should be released in full. I believe, oh, breaking news. Barr tells lawmakers to expect report in weeks, not months. So to expect the full or whatever they could release in weeks, not months, of Mueller's report. So that's good. I believe that the full Mueller report should be released. Yes, redact people where crimes were unfound. Uh, redact their names if you want to. But as far as Trump and his campaign officials, we should know why was, why were, why was it determined that they did not break the law? Why was it determined that there was no con- collusion? And why did Mueller not decide himself on obstruction of justice. You know how much taxpayer money was spent on this? We didn't spend this taxpayer money on it for Mueller to punt it over to a Republican appointee of Donald Trump, who before he was appointed said he didn't believe a president could be um, charged with obstruction of justice. So the cake was baked as far as Barr. He wasn't going to find obstruction of justice. So I want to know, why did Mueller... Why did Mueller, like, kick the ball over to Barr? I want to know all these things. I want to know, hey, I believe, okay, you didn't find collusion? I didn't think there was. I've been saying that for two and a half years. That doesn't mean there's not unethical or untoward things in there. Hey, it doesn't even mean there's not things in there that might even rise to the level of impeachment. But as I've always said, be careful what you wish for. You know, get rid of Trump. You think you think the grass is greener on the on the Christian right wing lunatic fundamentalist Mike Pence? Yeah, good luck with that. Um. So I didn't expect Rachel Maddow doing me a culpa, but not only is she not doing me a culpa, she's almost like making it seem like, well, this is the Barr report. We haven't actually seen the Mueller report, so. I can't make any, we can't make any determinations on collusion or anything else. What? You've been calling, you've been calling Robert Mueller Jesus of Nazareth. You've been calling Robert Mueller Paul Revere, Gandhi, Michael Jordan. I mean, Mother Teresa, whatever you want. Let's take a look at some of Rachel Mueller, Rachel, Rachel Mueller, Maddow, last night. You knew it was going to be this kind of night, didn't you? <laughs> you knew that. Yeah, I tried to go on vacation these last few days. Did not work. Um, I, have, I have questions. I have lots of questions based on the Barr report, um, some of which I think will be answered if and when we finally get Robert Mueller's report. Uh, but in the meantime, what Attorney General William Barr has just given to Congress really does raise a lot of questions that we never thought we would be asking 
I think, about how this in investigation is, is being resolved. I just round down uh, my top four questions, all of which have to do with this surprise in Barr's letter uh, about Robert Mueller reportedly not recommending one way or the other whether Trump should be prosecuted for obstruction of justice crimes. Uh, we are about to have here on set a former very senior national security official who was involved in the early stages of this matter within the Justice Department. He is here tonight because he has some things he has to say, he, excuse me, some things he wants to say um, ab ab about this part of, of what William Barr is doing here and how this investigation is resolving, so I'm eager to talk to him. Uh, before we bring him on, though, I, I, I just want to lay out a few more of these questions from what William Barr has just done, a um, few more questions that are kind of driving me nuts. Number five. <laughs> um, what does it mean when Barr says he had to consult with the Office of Legal Counsel at the Justice Department? before he made this declaration about President Trump not committing any crimes when it came to obstruction of justice. Office of Legal Counsel is like the lawyer's office for the Justice Department. They deal with big policy issues for the Justice Department and big, difficult, complicated legal issues that might not otherwise uh, show themselves clearly to the Justice Department in terms of how the department should wend its way through a difficult maze. I mean, when Barr says he had to go to the Office of Legal Counsel before describing, before deciding about whether or not the president had committed obstruction, why, why was that? That's the first clip wanted you to see. Now let's get to the next. Now, as a veteran of the Justice Department from the Department's National Security Division, David Loffman ran that division's counterintelligence and export control section under President Obama and through the entire first year of the Trump administration. Uh, Mr. Loffman, thank you for being here. It's nice Good to see you. Good to see you again. Um, so, first of all, let me just get your gut reaction to what we learned from Attorney General William Barr. Well, I mean, it's, it's important to hear the declaration with respect to the Russian interference part of the investigation. He set it out fairly declaratively. It's hard to discern from the snippets he included in the special counsel report whether the special counsel found, you know, no credible evidence of, of collusion or coordination with the Russian authorities or instead, as is more likely, didn't find sufficient admissible evidence to determine that a crime was committed. But they set it out fairly declaratively after an exhaustive investigation. I have the highest regard and admiration for Special Counsel Mueller and his team. And if that's what they found, then so be it. If they conducted an, an exhaustive investigation and the evidence just wasn't there, um, then we owe them a, a debt of gratitude for that piece. As far as the obstruction piece Before goes... Before we get to the obstruction okay. piece, though, on that point, let me just ask you, if they did have come to significant findings about involvement with the Russian attack on the election that maybe didn't rise to the level of something they were going to be able to prove in a court of law, or if there were other important findings in terms of people being under the influence or, or being compromised by a foreign power, would you expect that that information would be briefed to the intelligence committees or would be included in Mueller's report as the finding of the counterintelligence part of his remit? I think it's likely that it, all their counterintelligence-related findings will ultimately be briefed to appropriate officials of Congress. Those findings might not be included in the quote-unquote Mueller report that's the subject of this letter. There's likely, for example, a classified addendum to this report that may set out other findings derived from classified information. In terms of the obstruction of justice part of this, what's your reaction? To oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. So if you are forgetting what... The Barr memo said, since Rachel Maddow apparently doesn't believe it or isn't sure, this is a quote from Robert Mueller. 
The investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government and its election interference activities. I haven't read the full Mueller report, neither of you. But that's pretty clear. That's not like, although there was uh, evidence of unethical communications, untoward communications, unpatriotic communications, sinister communications, uh, improper coordination, we didn't find enough that rose to a criminal prosecutable case, right? What she's trying to say there is, well, even if they didn't charge it, do you think that if he found something that showed collusion or or compromise, people compromised by the Russians, that that would have been relayed to the attorney general and the deputy and the Department of Justice. But again, I don't, this is the this is direct quote from the Mueller report. The investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. So, you know, is it within the realm of possibility that the actual Mueller report says has extraneous or extemporaneous information in there that suggests? Well, they found some things that showed collaboration or knowing coordination during the campaign. I guess it's possible. Is it likely? No. She knows that. She knows that. It's exhausting at this point. Rachel Maddow is exhausting me. I don't watch it. I did watch some of it last night. It's like must-see TV, this train wreck. But... She's now a she's a she's a she's a Russia Russiagate birther or truther or whatever. And you know, even even on the screen you see the bar report. Like she's not even she's not she's refusing that to to acknowledge that this is Mueller's findings. She's like leaving it open there just by the phrasing the bar report. This was not Barr's report. This was Barr's synopsis of the Mueller report. Do you really think, yes, he's a Republican. Yes, he's, a, he's not a good political dude. He doesn't stand for what you and I stand for. Do you really think Barr is writing up a memo that's not fully based on the Mueller report? Do you think like, there's stuff in the Mueller report that's going to totally show he was lying in this memo? Of course not. I've said there might be things in the Mueller report that really open up a can of worms for Trump and his campaign about unethical behavior that might not even have much to do with Russia. There might be stuff in there that makes people be like, this man is beneath the office of the presidency, we need to impeach him. Obviously, I mean, the Democratic Party has a low bar for what they would want to impeach him. And I will say, it's rare that I credit her, but Nancy Pelosi is smart to rule out impeachment because that's the fastest way to lose an election if you overreach. This man can be beaten in an election. You're not going to beat him by, by impeaching him. There was never evidence of this collusion 
it was speculation, propaganda, and ratings, uh, and profiteering by Rachel Maddow, and frankly, a lot of digital outlets, and Young Turks, keeping it real. Much more clicky and sensational. You get a lot more clicks and YouTube subscribers off of, you know, the Cold War reenactment than you do Flint videos. But I actually think, long term, you build a much, much more respected, credible, and fierce and profitable media company covering real stories. So, I mean, it's just unbelievable. She's unbelievable. And notice, you know, in her list of 15 questions, that's fine. You know, you're, uh, you're a journalist. You can ask questions. It's all about obstruction of justice. But she can't even bring herself to say to her viewers, maybe I got a little ahead of myself. Speaking of so, let me, let me give you a little reminder, courtesy of The Intercept, uh, of Rachel Maddow and getting a little ahead of herself the last two and a half years. And here's the question. Is the new president going to take those troops out in Russia? Russian, Russia, Russia, Russian, Russia, Russia, Russia of whether or not Russia had help, whether they had Confederates inside the Trump campaign when they launched this attack. But every day and every day I leave my show and I think I'm going to be talking about something else. But every day over the course of the news cycle, a new piece of it falls in place. We're about to find out if the new president of our country is going to do what Russia wants. If the, the presidency is effectively a Russian op, Right? If the American presidency right now is the product of collusion between the Russian intelligence services and an American campaign, I mean, that is so profoundly big. This is not part of American politics. This is not, you know, partisan warfare between Republicans and Democrats. This is international warfare against our country. Good job by the Intercept. You know, Rachel Maddow during all this time could have been talking about real warfare, like the United States is still at war in Afghanistan for no fucking reason. Going on 20 years in 2021 that the United States is helping Saudi Arabia commit genocide in Yemen. That the United States still has residual troops in Iraq that the United States is bombing eight countries at the same time, that Donald Trump has doubled down on Obama's illegal and inhumane war crimes, also known as the drone program. And now Trump, now Trump's administration is trying to hide how many casualties there are of the drone program. But she was very, very focused on the warfare from Russia against the United States, like, you know, fake Facebook pages, trolls, and the possibility that when it gets super, super, super cold in the winter, the polar vortex, that Vladimir Putin might theoretically be able to cut off our electricity grid. You know, I said yesterday, I'm not calling for people to be fired. I changed my mind. Rachel Maddow is an embarrassment to journalism. She's an embarrassment to media. She's an embarrassment to truth. 
She's an embarrassment to facts. She's an embarrassment to herself. And this is coming from someone who a long, long time ago used to love watching Rachel Maddow. You I don't know if you remember, but back in the day, the rest of the media would be, you know, the same story leading every broadcast. And it was just repetitive and repetitive and s stupid and sensational. And Rachel Maddow would start the show on like some obscure, random story about subsidy, farm subsidies in Idaho. Or, or something like that. That's why I liked her back in the day, because she brought thoughtful, in-depth, well-researched news that I didn't know about. She represented and covered people that didn't get covered in other shows and outlets. So, hey, but, you know, $30,000 a show, pretty good. Here you have a morning consult poll Morning consult poll, state of the Democratic Party. On a, on a daily basis, morning consult is surveying over 5,000 registered voters across the U.S. on the 2020 presidential election. Every Tuesday, we'll update this page. So who's leading now? What do you have it? Joe Biden. 35%. That's, that's higher than I've seen recently for Joe Biden. Says the latest results are based on 13,725 interviews with registered voters collected March 18th through the 24th. So Democratic primary votes, Joe Biden, 35 percent. Bernie Sanders, 25 percent. Kamala Harris, 8 percent. Beto O'Rourke, 8 percent. Important to note, Beto O'Rourke announced on March 14th. So his 8 percent. I mean, this poll began four days after he announced and extended to 10 days after he announced. So 8% is not, not so great, Mr. Mr. Beto. And for the audience's information, uh, oh, Beto O'Rourke, he is, he is uh, I'm looking into some things. Let's put it that way. And it's not hard to find as far as Beto O'Rourke. His flip-floppery is in the Mitt Romney club. Him and Mitt Romney bought flip-flops together. So Kamala Harris still still at a low number, even though the media continues to cover her more than anyone else. Cory Booker running on love down there. Amy Klobuchar running on I don't know what down there. America's new mayor, Pete Buttigieg, 2%. Kirsten Gillibrand, 1%. Let's see more candidates. Tulsi Gabbard, 1%. I would say part of that is the lack of coverage. Same could go for Julian Castro, Hickenlooper, Gillibrand. I mean, coverage does matter, but they're all pretty terrible too, other than Tulsi. And let's see, early primary state voters. Wow, early primary state voters. Joe Biden goes up even more. Look at that. It's like, why should Bernie be running? Biden already has it. So the obvious question, I mean... Well, again, look at Beto. So he didn't really get much of a boost after he announced. So let's look at Biden versus Bernie. Bernie. Biden. So you see Bernie Sanders after he announced middle of February went up a little bit. And then just kind of been steady. Slightly down. Less at the end of this, but pretty steady. Joe Biden had this bump here on the 10th because the media started covering him 24-7. 20, 
saying that, oh, that's when the Will Biden, you know, Biden's within possibly a week to two weeks of announcing. And, oh, that's when started hearing about possibly he's going to run with Stacey Abrams. So the obvious question is, well, who are they polling? How many old people? How many young people? Demographics? What's that information? And here's, you know, more. Biden has a 79% favorability. Bernie, Bernie, 74%. Heard of, never heard of. Biden at 8%, Bernie at 9 Unfavorable, Bernie at 14 Biden at 11 I mean, within range of each other. But where is the information on the ages of the people polled? Don't you think that's kind of important, folks? I mean, we know, I mean, Bernie has support of all ages, but obviously he has a huge advantage over any other candidate among young people. So on a, on a daily basis, morning consult, surveys over 5,000 registered voters across the U.S., along with 2020 presidential election data, political intelligence tracks the approval ratings for all governors, senators, House members, the president, and more at the national, state, and congressional district level. Each week, we will release a report with the most important findings of a 2020 election. Sign up to receive results from the most recent. This page was last updated on March 25th, 2019. Our Democratic primary results are reported using 13,725 interviews with registered voters who indicate they may vote in the Democratic primary or caucus in their state. For those who say they don't know, who say don't know or no opinion, they are asked to pick a candidate they are leaning towards. Results are reported, first choice and those who lean towards a candidate. The interviews were collected from March 18th through 21st, have a margin of error plus or minus 1%. There is absolutely zero information in here of the age breakdown, who they've, who, who, what are the ages of people that voted? Nothing. So essentially, we are to believe that Ber- Joe Biden is kicking Bernie Sanders' ass right now. You know how I know? They're not polling a lot of young people. Key, second choices, where voters would migrate. Well, Sanders supporters, second choice. 35% Joe Biden? No way. Absolutely no way. I don't know, honestly, I don't know 35 Sanders supporters that are young, old too, but particularly young, that would vote for Joe Biden as their second choice. I think they'd probably, I think Tulsi would be up there. I think Warren would be up there. Maybe say, screw it, I'll go with Pete. Mayor Pete. There is zero chance that this morning consult poll is polling a equal amount of young people, or even a large number of young people, if they found 35% of Bernie Sanders supporters, their second choice is Joe Biden, there is zero chance of that. So essentially, you have a poll claiming Joe Biden is far in the lead that I I don't actually think is polling young people. And I'm not being an ageist. I know Status Quo has older viewers. I know Bernie has a lot of older supporters. 
But demographics is demographics, and the trends are the trends, and Bernie has the advantage over young people. And none of, as I showed you with CNN's ridiculous poll last week, that shouldn't even be called a poll. It's propaganda. So is this. If you're not going to tell us how many young people you're polling, and anyone with a half a political brain would know that 35% of Bernie Sanders supporters, second choice would not be Joe Biden. It would be Tulsi or Elizabeth Warren. My guess would be the majority would be probably Warren followed by Tulsi in the, in the Biden category, uh, in the Sanders category. Also doesn't make sense to me that within a day of each other, you have an Emerson, Emerson poll. This is in Iowa, so it's not a full poll of the whole country. Okay, Biden and Sanders neck and neck. You got Biden at 25, Bernie 24, America's mayor, Pete Buttigieg, 11%. Well, how is that possible if in this poll, early primary voters, Joe Biden is up 11% over Bernie? Now, early primary state voters means Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, California, Nevada, but I was in there, although it's not a primary, it's a caucus, but it's still one of the early contests. This is why I am here to do the hard work, the egregious work of showing you don't believe, don't believe propaganda. So when your neoliberal auntie or your Republican uncle are telling you, you know, Bernie doesn't have a chance. Biden is the guy. People want Biden. Not so. Not true. False.